Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. In the balance, Democrats smash expectations keeping the Senate. Control of the U.S. House still up for grabs. Be perilously close. We can win it. The state of play with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Blue Wall. Democrats score major wins in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. We are feeling damn good. I am so proud to be a Pennsylvania. Are these governors the future of their party? I'll speak to the just re-elected Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer and Pennsylvania Governor-elect Josh Shapiro ahead. Plus, blame game. Donald Trump set to push ahead with his special announcement as the Republican Party points fingers after disappointing midterm losses. Will the GOP rally around Trump or move on? The outgoing Republican governor of Maryland and potential Trump challenger Larry Hogan joins me in moments. Hello, I'm Dana Bash in Washington, where the State of Our Union is still counting the votes. We are closing out an extraordinary week in American politics with plenty still to be decided. Late last night, Democrats learned that they will keep control of the U.S. Senate after Catherine Cortez Masto held off her Republican challenger in Nevada. And Democrats have the potential to win one more seat with the Georgia runoff in, uh, in that state next month. In the House... Control is still up for grabs with 20 races yet to be called. Republicans must win seven seats to take control, while Democrats need 14. The Democrats have a chance to keep the House at all is sending shockwaves through the GOP, which had expected so much more winning. Their disappointing results fueling a fight over who gets to lead their party in the House, the Senate, and into 2024. As we wait for the votes to be counted, I'll speak with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and get her take on what it's going to take for control of the House when it is so close right now. But we begin with huge victories for Democrats in key governor's races as the party rebuilds its swing state blue wall, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, all states that went for Trump in 2016, now breaking blue. Let's talk to two of those Democratic governors who beat their opponents with sweeping double-digit margins about how they did it and what it means. Let's begin with Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, who achieved a truly historic victory, beating her Republican opponent by more than 10 percentage points. Thank you so much. Congratulations, Governor. So Democrats will now not only keep the governor's office, uh, but also control both chambers in your Michigan legislature. First time that's happened in almost 40 years. What takeaways do you have for national Democrats about your win in Michigan? Well, I can tell you, we stayed focused on the fundamentals, right? Whether it's fixing the dam roads or making sure our kids are getting back on track after an incredible disruption in their learning or just simply solving problems and being honest with the people. You know, a governor can't fix global inflation, but what we can do is take actions to keep more money in people's pockets, protect our right to make our own decisions about our bodies. And 
all of this was squarely front and center for a lot of Michigan voters. And I suspect that's probably true for voters across the country. You've been fighting for abortion rights in Michigan since even before the Dobbs decision. You won women by 26 points. And just by comparison, Hillary Clinton won them by 11 points during her presidential run. So when it comes to independence, I want you to look at that as well. Our viewers is, uh, should look at it. Hillary Clinton lost those independents by 16. You won them by 13. How big of a factor was the issue of abortion in those victories? I think it was a factor. I mean, there's we haven't done this in Michigan, but four times over the last 130 years. This was a, a massive turn of events. And I think part of it was... Democrats were fighting to solve problems, make people's lives better, but also protect our ability to make our own decisions about our bodies. These are fundamental core issues. If we're going to design our lives and make our decisions around our families, um, that is, you know, without question, an economic decision as well. I know a lot of folks kind of wanted to say, should we talk about the economy or abortion? But the fact of the matter is the ability to decide when and whether to have a child is the biggest economic decision a woman will make over the course of her lifetime. And that's why we kept that front and center, too. I'm speaking with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi shortly. Her husband, of course, was attacked after a conspiracy theorist came into their San Francisco home. Five men were convicted in a plot to kidnap you. Do you think this election was in any way a repudiation of political violence? You know, I, I would like to think so. I'll be honest with you. My opponent was a conspiracy theorist, and she'd regularly stoke politically violent rhetoric, undermine institutions. Um, whether it is aimed at me or it is aimed at a Republican congressman like Fred Upton or Peter Meyer here in Michigan, it's unacceptable. And my heart goes out to the Pelosi family. I think that this is a moment where good people need to call this out and say, we will not tolerate this in this country. And Perhaps part of that message was sent this election. Your state of Michigan is really a true swing state. It flipped back and forth from red to blue over the last decade. Trump won it in 2016, Biden in 2020. You just had a big reelection uh, this week. What is the secret to keeping Michigan blue going forward in 2024? You know, I, I really think that this was an affirmation of the agenda that we have been driving here for four years. I've had a very challenging legislature to work with at times, and yet, despite that, we're bringing supply chains home, making semiconductors in Michigan. We've expanded the auto industry, EVs and batteries. I mean, these are the core issues. If you want a good quality of life, a great job is fundamental to that. And so staying focused on those fundamentals, I think, is really important. I am a Democrat. I'm proud to be. I also am smart enough to know I'll work with anybody who actually wants to roll up their sleeves and solve problems. And so just because we now control all branches of government in Michigan doesn't mean that I'll change my tactics. There's a seat at the table for anyone who's serious about solving problems and building a Michigan that uh, ensures generations can thrive. President Biden has said that it's his intention to run again for president in 2024. He's going to make that decision early next year. How do you think the strong mid midterm results for the president should impact his decision? <laughs> you know, I can just tell you this. He has said he intends to run and he'll have my support. I've, I've, I've pledged that to him. I think he's delivered on a lot of really important fronts for the American people. Um, all the decisions that he'll be making in the coming weeks and months, uh, you know, I can't get into his head, but I can just say, 
Uh, if, should he run, he will have my support, and that's what he's indicated, so he's got it. Are you interested in running for president if he doesn't run, or if he does, waiting till 2028? You know what, Dana, I just won a double-digit victory getting the dream job that I've had for the last four years, even in the hardest times. I feel really lucky to be the governor of Michigan. I've lived here my whole life, and this is where my focus is for the next four years. I'm going to make Michigan an even stronger place where people come to for opportunity, and that's my whole focus. I somehow suspected you would say that, but thank you so much, and congratulations, Governor. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thank you. And let's- Thank you. Let's go now to Pennsylvania. Governor-elect Democrat Josh Shapiro, who beat his Trump-backed opponent by 14 percentage points. Congratulations to you, Governor-elect. I appreciate you joining us this morning. Thank you. In 2020, Joe Biden won the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania by less than two percentage points. You just won the governor's race by 14 percentage points. You outperformed the president in every county there. What changed? Look, we went everywhere. We showed up in rural, urban, suburban communities, um, engaged voters across the board, no matter their party label, reached out to constituencies that, quite frankly, had been ignored for some time, from Latino voters to Gen Z. And we built a coalition around getting stuff done for people, focusing on the things that mattered most, from making sure we delivered a quality education for every child, bringing Votech back to our classrooms, putting a mental health counselor in every school, investing in public safety, hiring more police because people have a right to be safe and feel safe, growing our economy and giving people a shot, and of course, making sure we protect real freedom, whether it's the right to vote or the right to make decisions over your own body. Those were universal things that were well-received in rural, urban, suburban communities, Republicans and Democrats and independents alike. And we took the same message all across Pennsylvania and one in places where Democrats really had never won before. You keep talking about rural, urban, and suburban. And it's so interesting because, you, well, you know this, Democrats are increasingly a coastal party and have had trouble with particularly the, the rural voters and, uh, and working class voters who used to be the core of the Democratic Party. What is your message to other Democrats on uh, how to reach those who they have lost and be competitive in rural America in particular? Well, look, I, I can just tell you what we did. We showed up and we treated people with respect and we spoke to them about practical things that would make their lives better. We ignored the noise coming out of Washington, D.C. and instead focused on the good people of Washington County, Pennsylvania. I think it's just a matter of showing up, treating people with respect and showing them how you're going to make their lives better, helping them understand how you can actually build a bridge between the parties to kind of take down the, the temperature and get real things done. Your Republican opponent, Doug Mastriano, still has not conceded the race five days after CNN projected uh, that you are the winner. Are you still waiting for a phone call? What's your message to him? <laughs> I mean, who cares if he calls, right? Uh, you know, he doesn't get to pick the winner. The people pick the winner. And in a resounding way, they made clear uh, that they wanted me to lead this commonwealth forward. We had an historic win, uh, more votes than any gubernatorial candidate in history. So I could care less if the guy calls me. What matters is the people chose me, and I look forward to getting to work for them in January. When you become governor, you probably should consider collecting taxes from President Biden because he spent so much time in Pennsylvania leading up to the election. <laughs> uh, you embraced him. 
You had him campaign with you. Other Democrats around the country kept their distance from him. What did you see that they didn't? Well, look, I, I thought it was important to get everybody out to the polls, to make sure people understood the magnitude of what was on the ballot. I mean, democracy literally hung in the balance. And so the fact that the president wanted to come here and rally folks to get them out to vote was great. Uh, but the bottom line is we focused on Pennsylvania issues. We focused on the needs of Pennsylvanians. We focused on bringing Republicans, Democrats, independents together around my vision for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, not someone else's vision. That's what we focused on. And that's ultimately what carried the day here in Pennsylvania. Okay, so I know you haven't even begun your term. You were just elected, but you know your name is already being mentioned in some circles as a potential future presidential contender. Do you have any ambition to be the first Jewish (laughs) president of the United States? No. Dan, I I have an ambition to get a little bit of sleep, to (laughs) to reintroduce myself to my kids, and then to serve the good people of Pennsylvania as their governor. That is all I'm focused on, and that's all I want to do. Fair point. Well, congratulations. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks, Dana. And does Speaker Nancy Pelosi think Democrats can still take the House? We'll talk about that and more when she joins us ahead. And a GOP governor in a blue state, Maryland's Larry Hogan, on the message voters just sent his party. Next. Welcome back to State of the Union. It may be days before all the votes are counted, but Republicans are already pointing fingers at one another with GOP lawmakers in both the House and the Senate criticizing their leadership for failing to meet expectations. Just as former President Trump teases a special announcement next week. Here with me now, a Republican governor who's led a blue state, Maryland, since 2015, Larry Hogan. Governor, thank you so much for joining me. Good morning. Um, You've kind of been on an island Maybe a few others are are with you uh, as a Republican warning against GOP extremism and specifically election denialism. How do you interpret the results? Well, yeah, I've been talking about this for years, uh, and uh, it seemed as if I was the only one talking about it. But today there are a whole lot more people talking about it. And the way I would interpret it, look, this was this should have been a huge red wave. It should have been one of the biggest red waves we've ever had because you know, the President Biden's uh, approval rating was so low, one of the lowest historically. Um, more than 70 percent of the people thought the country was going in the wrong direction. And yet we still didn't perform. And uh, I think common sense conservatives that focused on talking about issues people cared about, like the economy and crime and education, they did win. But people who tried to relitigate the 2020 election and focused on conspiracy theories and uh, you know, talked about things the voters didn't care about. They were almost universally rejected. And I think it's, it's basically the third election in a row that Donald Trump has cost us uh, the race. And it's like, you know, three strikes, you're out. Well, do you think that's true? Because we've heard that after one strike and two strikes, to keep yeah. your analogy going. Well, you know, the uh, definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different re- result. And, you know, Donald Trump yeah, he kept saying, you know, we're going to be winning so much, we'll get tired of winning. I'm tired of losing. I mean, that's all he's done. So you don't think that this is just a blip and that Republicans will return to um, being, well, it's kind of still the party of Trump, but embracing the party of Trump? You think this time is different? You know, if you, if you lose 
over and over again to what, what's really not that great of a team, um, you've got to reassess, is it time to rebuild? And you have to go back and think, uh, how do we have a, a more hopeful, positive vision? How do we appeal to a broader group of voters? Because we, you know, in some cases, we fired up the base, but we turned off wide, wide swaths of swing voters, and it's why we didn't perform. Former President Trump is teasing a very big announcement on Tuesday night. He, Huge. He could announce his 2024 bid to run for president again. What do you think will happen if he does? Well, there's no question he's still the 800-pound gorilla, and um, it, it's still a battle. It's going to continue for the next two years. I would just say that we're, we're two years out from the next election, um, and we're just trying to, you know, the dust is settling from this one. I think it would be a mistake. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, Trump's cost us the last three elections, uh, and I don't want to see it happen a fourth time. Could he cost, by if he does announce, could he cost Republicans the runoff in Georgia? No question about that. I mean, it's not as con consequential now. We still would like to win Georgia, but we're not going to win back the uh, Senate as a result. And, and, and that's Donald Trump's fault. I have to ask you about something that he posted on his social media website, Truth Social. He used a racist comment to lash out at another potential 2024 competitor, your fellow Republican governor, Glenn Youngkin. He wrote, Youngkin, separating his last name. Now that's an interesting take. Sounds Chinese, doesn't it? in Virginia, couldn't have won without me. Your wife uh, and children are Korean-Americans. You've made a point of fighting against Asian-American hate as governor. What's your reaction to that? Well, it was definitely uh, distasteful and inappropriate, not only because uh, I don't think my friend Glenn Youngkin deserved to be attacked like that, but it was also, uh, I mean, it's Asian hate against a, a white governor, you know, and, and making fun of uh, Asians. And he didn't even have his nationalities right because Young Kim would be Korean as opposed to Chinese. But uh, it's just more of the same from Donald Trump, insults and attacks. And that's one of the reasons why the party's in such bad shape. Is it racist? It is racist. One Republican who had an unequivocally strong election night was another one of your fellow Republican governors, Ron DeSantis in Florida. Uh, a growing number of Republicans who feel similarly to you about Trump saying we have to move ahead, are saying, well, maybe Ron DeSantis is our guy. Would he make a good president? Well, he certainly had a great night the other night in Florida. It was a big win for Ron DeSantis. Florida is becoming more and more red uh, as a result of, I think there's 600,000 new Republicans in Florida because it's kind of flight out of blue states into mm -hmm. Florida. Uh, it was a, he did a great job picking up uh, Hispanic voters and in uh, Miami and, and, and South Florida, which is kind of what we did in our last race. We won Hispanics. Uh, but it, it was a good night for him, and he's certainly one of the important voices for the, uh, for the party. It's no secret that you are considering running in 2024. What is your status now? Will you run? Well, I'm, I'll tell you what I'm doing. Uh, you know, I'm, I'll be heading down to Florida tomorrow with all my fellow governors. We're all going to talk about what happened, and we're going to welcome a couple of new governors. And then uh, I'll be flying out. I'll do a thing with RJC. I'll be on a stage with Mike Pence and Mike Pompeo. And at the end of the month, I'm going to have a big thing in Annapolis, a summit. Uh, we're going to bring in, bring in people from all around the country, and we're going to have a big celebration of our eight years of success. And we'll, we're going to take a look. I still have to do my day job until January 18th. and well, then You I can walk and chew gum at the same time. Yeah, that's true. I'll, I'll be freed up and unleashed. And will you, un <laughs> will you be unleashed towards a 2024 run? I think there's probably, you know, I've been saying since 2020 uh, that we have to get back to a, a party that appeals to more people that can win in tough places like I've done in Maryland. And I think that lane is much wider uh, now than it was a week ago.
One quick question before I let you go. Kevin McCarthy is working the phones. He wants to be speaker if Republicans do take the House. Should he be? You know, I think most Americans aren't paying much attention to palace intrigue and what's going on. I know it's the focus of well, everybody here. Well, it's a constitutional here, position. But most it's people, uh, you know, it, the in, inner battle about who might be in charge. Uh, you know, look, I think the, the, the uh, people on the far right really lost this election, and now they want to try to take that over. But it's going to be a very slim margin. Kevin McCarthy's got work to do. Is, uh, there's no question about that. Governor Larry Hogan, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Nice to see you. Too close to call. The battle for the House is still undecided. Next, we will talk to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. We'll talk about whether or not she will still have that title come January. Stay with us. State of the Union, we still do not know which party is going to control the House of Representatives as Western states continue to count votes. Let's go now to a woman who knows that part of the country extremely well, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, a Democrat of California. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me this morning, Madam Speaker. I want, of course, ask about all of uh, everything having to do with the election, but I want to start by asking about your husband, Paul. How is he doing? Well, thank you for asking. Good morning. Uh, each day takes us closer to uh, recovery. It's a long haul, but he's doing well, comforted by the good wishes and especially the prayers of so many people throughout the country. We thank them all for that. And again, so many have said, I'm, I'm going to be sure to vote because this has gone too far. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, I, he is uh, surrounded by our children and grandchildren and the rest. And the doctors say little less activity, <laughs> little more rest. Mm. But thank you. Let me ask you about the fact that right now, as we speak, the Democrats uh, need 14 seats to win control. Republicans need seven. Half of the 20 seats are outstanding. Uh, many of them, half of them, I should say, are in your home state of California. Will Democrats keep the House? Well, we will see when the people have finished speaking and the votes have been counted as cast. Uh, I'm very proud of our Democratic candidates, both the incumbents seeking re-election and our red to blue, our challengers. Uh, They never took any uh, guidance from those who would say this is over, Democrats can't win because history says, or that's conventional wisdom, what's conventional, and it certainly wasn't wisdom. And they knew their purpose. They knew why they were running, to protect our democracy, save our planet, protect our values and the rest. And they did not heed any guidance of you should change your message. They knew their districts. They related to their constituents. Mm -hmm. And they had produced a great result. Who would have thought two months ago uh, that this red wave would turn into a little tiny trickle, if that at all? Uh, But we never believed that. We believed. I think believing is one of the most important pieces of it. Believe. They believed in themselves. They believed in our country. They believed in our plan, their plan uh, to win. Madam Speaker. We'll see. You you said that they knew their districts. You know all the districts, especially when it comes to the votes still out in California. Mm -hmm. Where are you right now? How confident are you uh, about potentially keeping control of the House? Well, our purpose, my purpose in in all of this is to, first and foremost, protect our incumbents. 
and that is what we have done in California, and we, where we have seen opportunity to grow our majority, uh, that has been our priority, both in California and elsewhere. We're disappointed as to what happened in New York, because uh, that, that is a setback in terms of uh, our, our calculations before. But we'll see. There are so many votes still out. I've said this is like the Olympics, and a half of second, you can be gold, silver, bronze, or honored to be an Olympian. So we'll see where this it, takes us. But I think you see a path to the future that is much brighter than what was predicted by the punditry and those who want us to change our message. You mentioned New York. In fact, four uh, of your losses yeah. came from a very, very blue state in New yeah. York, including uh, your colleague, Sean Patrick Maloney, your fellow uh, leader. Yeah. It might make the difference between winning and losing control. Yeah. That's right. Well, let me first say, Sean Patrick Maloney did an outstanding job as the chair of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. He and the team that he assembled deserve a great deal of credit for keeping us with a path. Uh, I'm sorry uh, about his loss. It's a big loss to the Congress and the country. Uh, but I do want to salute President Biden for his campaigning, President Obama, all of it raising the urgency of the election and the awareness that people must vote and that they shouldn't listen to those who say this is a foregone conclusion because of history, but it's about the future and get out there what and What happened vote. in New York? What well, do you I think, think here, here's, what I, uh, here's what I always say, you know, as a former chair of the California Democratic Party, you have to take every district at a time. You cannot make sweeping overviews the day after the election or within the uh, time of the voting account. Just every district at a time. Our message, people over politics, lower cost, bigger paychecks, safer community, served us well in the rest of the country. I th every race has to be analyzed about what happened in that race, if you really are going to learn anything mm. rather than draw uh, a conclusion. Uh, in the course of the campaigns, when people would ask me about a particular race, I'll say, I don't know. I haven't been on the ground there. Right. Uh, I've been on the ground on many of the races, and so I was confident. But it was interesting to me that people would talk about these races who didn't really know what they were talking about, and I think the results have, uh, are evidence of that. We're still alive, but again, the races are close, and um, we just, you know, we don't pray for a victory. I, I was I grew up in a political family. You don't pray for the victory, but you pray that God's will will be done. And on that Sunday, that's what we pray on this Sunday. Madam Speaker, you alluded to this when I asked about your husband, but I just want to ask specifically and kind of point blank about the fact that there has been such extremism, such political violence, and what happened to your your husband was was horrific. Do you think that that had an impact on voters as they cast their ballots? I, I don't I know that what people tell me, <clears throat> that's anecdotal. And, and uh, we always say it, the plural of anecdote is not data necessarily, but it is a trend in what I'm hearing. But it wasn't just the attack. It was the Republican reaction to it, which was disgraceful. And that, I think, really... Um, the attack is horrible. It's, I mean, imagine what, how I feel as the one who was the target and my husband paying the price and the traumatic effect on our family. 
but that trauma is intensified by the ridiculous, disrespectful attitude that the Republicans, and there's no, nobody disassociating themselves from the horrible response that they gave to it. So you think that turned further into that? That turned voters off. They tell me so. You've talked about the need for a vibrant Republican Party. Yes. House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy, he's working the phones, probably as we speak, trying to firm up the votes he needs to become speaker if Republicans do, in fact, take the House. As somebody who has been speaker for a combined eight years, do you think Kevin McCarthy has what it takes to be speaker of the House? Let's just get through the election, okay? Uh, They haven't won yet. They've been measuring for draperies. They've been putting forth an agenda. They haven't won it yet. Let's, uh, after we... um, after the election is concluded, depending on who is in the majority, uh, there'll be judgments made within their own party, in our own parties, as to how we go forward. It's not up to me to uh, make any evaluation of, uh, I, of what their well, possibilities you, you, are. You are uniquely uh, qualified to understand what it takes to be Speaker of the House. Yeah, I do. I do. Uh, I, is, I, does I, he have it? <laughs> But why would I make a judgment about something that may or may not ever happen? Uh, No, I don't think he has it, but that's up to his own people to make a decision as to how they want to be led or otherwise. What is important, though, is that this election has been a victory for the people, for the candidates who had the courage to run in the face of any predictions, for the grassroots people VIPs, our volunteers in politics, knocking on millions of doors to get out the vote. Don't ever underestimate. Now, see, I'm a former party chair, so I'm on the ground. You have to own the ground. Mm -hmm. And owning the ground took us uh, to the place that we are now, much closer to victory than anyone would have predicted. And, of course, our president, President Biden and uh, President Obama being out there to to make people aware of the importance of this election and that the prospects were that we could win to offset some of the punditry that were wedded to the past when we're, we know elections are about the future. But I don't, you know, I don't really get into Republican uh, caucus politics. That's, uh, that's up to them. But nonetheless, uh, we still think we have a chance to win this. But nobody would have ever expected that we would be so, this close. Well, we expected it, but uh, the, shall we say conventional wisdom, however conventional it was, or how wise it was. But let me just salute the Senate. This is so such a cause uh, for a celebration. Chuck Schumer was so correct when he said it was a victory for the people and for the country. I personally uh, know that it's a joy to Harry Reid, wherever in heaven as he is, uh, that his his state came through uh, with the uh, victory that gave us uh, uh, the majority in the Senate. Madam Speaker, you told my colleague Anderson Cooper that your decision about whether to stay in the House leadership will be affected by the attack on your husband, Paul. Um, As a human, anybody could understand that comment to mean that your wife, who's dealing with trauma in your family after that Mm -hmm. unbelievable attack, Another way to look at it, as somebody who's covered you for a long time, is that maybe you're emboldened and you feel more mm-hmm. of a responsibility to stay. Which is it? Well, the, the uh, fact is that any decision to run is about family. 
and also my colleagues. And uh, what we want to do is go forward in a very unified way as we go forward to prepare uh, for the Congress at hand, and then after some respite, get ready for the next election. Uh, I don't want to be, I, 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 I say to the members, recreate and recreate are the same word. We, people have to recreate, they have to rest, they have to get ready. But nonetheless, uh, a, a great deal is at stake because we'll be in a presidential election. So my decision will again be rooted in what uh, the wishes of my family and uh, the wishes of my caucus. But none of it will be very much considered until we see what the outcome of all of this is. And but there are all kinds of ways to exert influence. You just The speaker has awesome power, but I will always have influence. Do you intend to make your decision by the time the uh, leadership elections are scheduled to take place, which is November yeah. 30th? Yeah, that, we, have a, uh, we have a couple more weeks before. Just but you'll make a, a decision before that? Of course. Well, you know what? I, I'm not asking anybody for everything. People are campaigning, and that's a beautiful thing. And I'm not asking anyone for anything. My members are asking me uh, to consider doing that. But again, let's just get through the election. Your members are asking so you many to continue hours running in the again? Day. It, only so many hours in the day, and we are so completely focused on our political time, our official time on making sure that we win and prepare for the lame duck, whether it's debt ceiling or whether it's other legislation uh, that is necessary for the people uh, as we go forward. So uh, I have a day job. Uh, yes, you do. <laughs> and, and I do. And, and again, a part of it is to be the political leader and to get us the best possible victory. And then not worrying about my future, but for the future for the American people. Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, appreciate you coming on. My pleasure. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you. And if Democrats do not take the House or keep the House, it could be thanks to a poor showing in New York, of all places, which I just discussed with the House Speaker. A New York Democratic congressman who lost his primary there joins our panel next. confident that Democrats could keep the House? I... Uh, I'm, uh, Confident they could, yeah, where they will. Look, it's an outside, it's a, it's a stretch. Everything has to fall our way. I'm predicting that, as I've said all along, it'd be perilously close. We can win it. Whether we're going to win it remains to be seen. Welcome back to State of the Union. President Biden talking about the race for the House after Democrats claimed control of the Senate last night. My panel joins me now. We're all certainly wide awake and, and uh, not tired after this week at all. Brad Todd, you are a Republican strategist. You worked on pretty much all of the, the big Senate races. Most of them on the outside, yes. For the Republicans. For the Republicans. What happened? Uh, well, certainly it's, it wasn't the night we thought we were going to get. Uh, you know, and if you look at most of the polling late, most of the races were with one or two points. Uh, we felt like the undecided voters who were disapproved of Joe Biden and, and thought the economy was most important, we thought they'd break to us. And, and I don't think they did. Uh, I think we got what we polled, so we lost most of them by one or two points. Why? Um, well, I think it'd be a mistake to oversimplify it. Uh, I think, uh, first off, our primary voters have got to be a little bit more pragmatic in their choices. Our donors have to step up. You know, in five of the seven top Senate races, we got outspent two to one. Uh, our leaders in Washington have to be a lot clearer. You know, there was resistance among a lot of Republican leaders in Washington to issuing a 
policy agenda that voters can endorse. That's a mistake. We can't do that again. Uh, so I think we also have to change some of our campaign tactics. You know, Democrats turned Republican candidates upside down in the summer, and they beat us in the mail and early vote. We can't let that either of those happen again. Mm-hmm. I see. Um, I like the way you put it. Primary voters need to be more pragmatic in their choices. That's another way of saying that candidate quality matters, right? Uh, Mitch McConnell knew this. Donald Trump said, no, it doesn't. And I, I, I think that's absolutely true. Look, I think voters were split. There were four buckets, right? You got crime and the economy over on the left. You had Roe and democracy. Uh, uh, sorry, on, on the left. And um, Roe and democracy on the left. And um, it was always going to be where do, you know, where do these voters come down in these four buckets? And I think the answer is all of the above. All of the above mattered to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Crime and the economy mattered. And pretending that crime was a Republican invention did not work for Democrats where they tried that. Um, But democracy mattered, too, and so did Roe. People thought Roe maybe peaked too soon for Democrats. I think it actually carried a lot of uh, Democrat turnout. This is a really important point because sexism, I think, played a role in how people were looking at the data. As someone who, you know, I've been part of NARAL Pro-Choice America for 10 years, and for months we were seeing in the data that it was not a situation where women were just going to be angry and then go sit down and worry about the cost of eggs, right? This was a tectonic cultural shift. And young voters, how they felt it as an affront to how they see themselves as human beings in a democracy. For women, again, it was taking away a right that many of us have had our whole lives, Mm -hmm. but also that it was a gateway to other rights potentially being taken away and a real understanding, and that plays with democracy. The other couple things I'll say, when we talk about economy, I said this on this show two weeks ago, It's not just, you can't just look at how voters rank. It's the intensity. We were seeing voters that had the same intensity around economy as they did around, for black voters, protecting voting rights. For women, Roe v. Wade. I also want to give my party tremendous credit for early investments in black and brown voters and in the ground game. It is something that, as you know, I work for Howard Dean at the DNC. Mm -hmm. We have been calling for for a very long time. I want us to learn the lesson. It worked. It's not just that the Republicans lost. Democrats actually actively won. For sure. I, I want to say, CNN's exit poll says Republicans got 13% of black voters. That's about 6 or 7% more than we got four years ago. It says we got 40% of Hispanic voters, also historic high. 34% of Jewish voters, also historic high. 40% of Asian voters, more than we've had in a generation. Republicans got a lot more diverse this time. Mm-hmm. Democrats out-campaigned us in the districts that mattered. Well, I, I got- I just want to, sorry, I just want to get the Congressman Mendan Jones, and as I do, I just want to, because the House is not yet called, yeah. and we need to be saying that over again, this is still very dynamic, 20 uncalled races right now. And uh, if Democrats can get 14 of those, they keep the House. Yeah. On that note, uh, you are a Democrat from New York, and <laughs> you lost a primary. The map was um, a little bit Messed up. I think that's probably a, an understatement. <laughs> you tweeted the word yikes after the man who ousted you from your seat, the uh, Congressman Sean Patrick Maloney, who happens to be the DCCC chair, lost his race. Did your, Demo- home state, did your home state Democrats kind of screw this up for the National Party? Redistricting in New York was an incompetent disaster. Uh, and it started, by the way, like many of the recent horrible things in New York, with a guy by the name of Andrew Cuomo. Who, Preach. <laughs> who, 
you know, a lot of folks don't know that the reason we lost a congressional seat in New York State is because 89 more people did not complete the census. The governor at the time could have dispersed funds that the legislature had allocated for purposes of census completion. So this is Andrew Cuomo's fault? And then, it's because it's also the fault of federal and state legislators in New York. And then the legislature, which could have made the Independent Redistricting Commission's consensus building more efficient, did not put money behind its own ballot referendum that would have accomplished that because they always intended to overrule the Independent Redistricting Commission with their supermajority vote. And as a result, uh, you've had the chair of the DCCC uh, in coordination with Democratic leaders in Albany uh, push through an aggressive gerrymander that the Court of Appeals struck down as blatantly illegal. Uh, and as a result, you have the nightmare scenario where yeah. uh, you, you have the, the House majority now Uh, being deprived of Democrats, potentially, because of New York, a deeply blue state where we could have gotten it right in the way that so many other blue states did. You're clearly upset as a New Yorker. (laughs) (laughs) Can I also say something else? If you care about the economy, as as many Democratic voters and independent voters do, you also voted for Democratic candidates this cycle. I mean, I I, I have watched so many of my Republican colleagues, almost to a person, vote against lowering costs for working families. We just passed the Inflation Reduction Act in August, for example which will lower the cost of prescription drugs. Not a single Republican voted for it. We were able to run on that. They didn't vote for the American Rescue Plan, and only a a dozen of them voted for the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, which is creating millions of good-paying jobs in districts around the country. So we were able to vote. We were able to talk about how we are working to lower costs and address inflation, whereas folks like Rick Scott and others in the party... They wanted to talk about inflation without articulating a plan. And then when we got Rick Scott's plan, it turns out that he wanted to lower taxes for really wealthy yeah. people and cut Medicare and Social Security. Essie, as a Repu- are you still a Republican? You can call me a conservative. Okay. <laughs> as a conservative. <laughs> what do you think about that? Um, well, listen, Democrats, I think... Um, did the right thing. I know they got poo-pooed a lot for focusing on democracy, this very nebulous idea. But it was important, and it was important that they talked about it. I think that was effective. But it was also important that they talk about the economy. And it's tough for Democrats because a lot of what Joe Biden has done won't be felt by voters for years and years and years. It's not like he put a check in the mail. And that's hard to communicate, but they did a good enough job that uh, they kept the Senate and might win the House. But but you also had Republicans, some of whom even had worked on bipartisan legislation, who refused to even run on that. And I do want to give props to the vice president because she was out there campaigning several days a week, keeping reproductive freedom at the forefront, which for many families is actually an economic I, I have I have to, before we run out of time, look ahead to this special announcement, as he's calling it, <laughs> that Donald Trump is going to make on Tuesday. Uh, Brad, you have worked for several Republican candidates. You've worked in Republican politics for a long time. Would a Trump announcement be good for the party? There's only one announcement that'll be good for the party Tuesday night, and that is him encouraging every Republican to donate to Herschel Walker in Georgia. Uh, The voters are not ready for 2024. 2022's elections are not over. And every Republican American, no matter whether they're a former president or a former dog catcher, needs to be focused on helping Herschel Walker win in Georgia. Would that hurt him? Every Republican needs to pitch in. This is time for every Republican to... To pitch in. No, but I would it the, divert attention? I hope the former president asks his fellow Republicans yes. to donate. That's what I hope yes. he does. 
Having done the Georgia special election in 2021, absolutely. But diverting Donald attention Trump. is what he's good at. That's what he wants. He's going to he's make first. an announcement no matter what It's not America want. first. It's, it's Trump but first. If, but Always. If voters in Georgia think that Donald Trump is going to be running Herschel Walker in the Senate, they're not going to vote for All right, guys, he's not we're at a, He's not going to be. We're at, nobody thinks We're that. at a time. Great discussion. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in. Appreciate it. And tune in on Wednesday when my co-anchor, Jake Tapper, hosts a town hall with former Vice President Mike Pence, that's at 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on CNN. Thank you so much for spending your Sunday morning with us. Fareed Zakaria picks up next. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash country. Max subscription required.